Uh, good morning, Saints. Uh, my name is Jake, and uh, I volunteer to give the word today. Um, while the, the Pachette family were, they're actually on vacation enjoying the wonderful weather in California. Um, yeah, that's pretty nice, right? So this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 15. Uh, so if you want to turn to your Bibles, or if you have a device... Open to John chapter 15. I'm actually going to read verses 1 through 17. It's a lot of verses, um, so just kind of bear with me. I'm going to read it, and then we'll pray, and then I'll kind of get into it. So this is from the NIV. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must be in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. God, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy that is fresh every morning. I thank you for your grace. And I thank you for who you are in your character. I ask today as I speak that you keep me focused on point and you keep my words simple and clear and that you open the hearts that are, those in, that are in this room. You give them ears to hear and eyes to see what you are calling them to be. And in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I volunteered to do this. And when I volunteered, I thought I had the greatest plan to give the best sermon ever. I was going to go back and listen to all the sermons I've, I've heard throughout my lifetime, the things that have like really stuck with me and that were profound and have shaped my walk with Jesus. I was going to take really good notes and take those notes, mash them all together, and hopefully have like a cohesive sermon. But when I really started like 
figure out like how to make this sound cohesive, I realized something, and that is that God has blessed me with the most amazing wife. My wife, Jennifer, who is really wise beyond her years, she's in the back, she has a way for framing her relationship with God. When she feels like she's not meeting up to the expectations of the church, she goes back and she asks herself these questions. Who is God? What does he do? Who am I? What do I do? The order of these questions are important. Because if you take these questions and you reverse them, you go from the bottom and go up. Who am I? What do I do? Who is God? What does he do? That is religion. And that creates an image of God that is based on our own image of ourselves. So to illustrate this, um, there was a really good illustration in, in uh, the book With by Sky Jathani. He actually talks about a, a theology professor who at the beginning of every, um, uh, every semester, he will pass out a series of questions and asks um, the students questions about what they think Jesus is like. So questions like, is he moody? Does he get nervous? Is he the life of the party or is he an introvert? And then shortly after these questions, they're followed up by questions with slightly altered language that ask the same thing about themselves. And the thing that's remarkably consistent is that everyone, the way they answer these questions, Jesus, everyone thinks that Jesus is just like them. There is a lot I can go into in terms of like the folly of creating God into your image. I'm not going to go into that right now. But the big thing about this is that when you focus on When you're focusing on output, when you're focusing on who you are and what you do, you will make God into your own image. And so instead, you need to reverse it and to make God your input. Focus on who God is and what he does before asking the question of who am I and what I do. So instead of focusing on doing more, needing to, I need to pray more, I need to read scriptures more, I need to go to church more, I need to give more, I need to be more joyful, I need more patience and more kind. The focus should be on making God the input, and so those things, those outputs that you want to strive to do become the natural. They come out in their own natural way. So buying lemons from a grocery store and attaching it to a tree in your backyard doesn't make that tree a lemon tree. Just like trying to attach the fruits of the Spirit to our lives and expects us to be closer with God, it doesn't work that way. These are fruits that are the outcome of the relationship that we have in Jesus. We have to draw closer to him 
because it is in that closeness that this fruit will spring forth in your life. And yet, I'm going to grab some water. And yet, this is exactly what I was doing when I was trying to prepare for this sermon. I was focusing on the output. I wanted it to be a really good sermon. And, uh, and I thought that the best way to do that was just to take the output of all these other great influences in my life, these people that I look up to and that have shaped the way in which I walk with God. But I was going to take their input and make it an, an input into the sermon. And that's not the way this works. And taking other people's outputs and making my input wouldn't have brought me any closer to God. And if anything, what it would have done is ended up as just like this disorganized mess of thoughts and ideas and experiences that were not my own. So today, I can honestly say that uh, today you got thoughts and ideas that are, are mine. They're, they're a representation of this relationship that I have with God. I'm putting my heart out there. So another thing I try to do, once I realize, like, okay, cool, I can't, like, take these, these sermons and have it just input it into this sermon. I was like, I need to, let me get into the, the gospel more. And so I was like, I'm going to listen to all the gospels, every single thing that Jesus said. I'm going to go back and listen to it, and I'll make that my sermon. And so I realized that as I'm listening to the things that Jesus is saying in these Gospels, uh, I have this bad habit of focusing on what he's saying and, like, how I should be responding, what I should be doing. So, like, an example, in uh, Matthew chapter 15, or chapter 5, verse 16, when he says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I'm thinking, like, how can I make my light, you know, how can I get my light to shine? How can I make others see these good deeds that I'm doing for God's glory? Or uh, when I hear Jesus say to the man in Mark chapter 10, verse 21, go sell everything. You ha- go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. I begin to think of ways in which I can be more generous with my money looking to see, I I can sell that, I can do this, I can give more, I can do more. Or in Luke, when he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. I'm looking for ways for me to die to my desires. But by doing all of this, by focusing on doing in response to what Jesus is saying in the Gospels, I am missing out. Because what I'm doing is I'm making these Gospels about me and who I am and what I can be doing more. And I'm totally missing out what God is doing. I'm missing out on who God is. I'm missing out on the fact that we worship a God who has this infinite power, and yet he uses it to reach across the chasm of sin and be in relationship with us, his creation that he loves. God loves his creation. I think 
we have a hard time with Genesis when we boil Genesis down to just like a scientific account of the creation of everything. To me, the, the importance of Genesis is that it's a love poem. It shows us how much he loves us. God created the universe and he spoke all of these things into being. And yet he forms us with his hands from dust. And throughout the narrative, everything is good except for one thing. Adam is alone. God was alone. And so he created creation so that he can be in relationship. The whole purpose of all of this is because the love that God has for us. So Genesis, I believe, is about showing the heart of God and who he is. And now when I go back and I take a look at John 15, what I just talked about, and it talks about abiding in Jesus and being attached to him, part of the vine, instead of looking for things to do, instead of being concerned about not being the, I don't want to be the branch that's cast away, instead of focusing on those things, and focus on what God, like who God is. I ask the questions of who God is and what he does. This is what I see. I see Jesus preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. He's setting the stage for, the, for a new way to be human. Jesus, <clears throat> sorry. He's setting the stage for a new way to be human um, and what Jesus is about to unlock to the work of the cross. I see this because I focus on the word, well, in the NIV, the word is remain, but in the ESV, the word is abide. I focus on the word abide. And the reason why I think abide over remain is significant is because the word in Greek that's used here, can you, that's the word in Greek. I don't know Greek. I can't say that word. But the meaning of that word is is beyond just uh, a living, it's beyond just like making a, a home in Christ. It's, it's, it's beyond just abiding in, in Jesus. What that word means is um, it's about a, a shared life, a joined life, a co like It's about like an inhabitation of us and the Father together. Uh, I think John... Uh, kind of explains this pretty well in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, if there's one thing I want you guys to walk away with today, it's this. If we focus on if we focus on God's love as much as we focus on doing, we will see the change that we want to see in our lives. There's a quote from David Benner who describes love in this way. 
God is head over heels in love with you. God is simply giddy about you. He just can't help loving you. And he loves you deeply, recklessly, and extravagantly, just as you are. God knows you are a sinner, but your sins do not surprise him. Nor do they reduce in the slightest his love for you. So, do you want to know why God hates sin? God hates sin because it separates us from him. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I think oftentimes when we look at the scripture, we look at it in a way in that we sin and God turns our back on us. He turns away from us. But that's not the way I read the scripture. The way I read the scripture is that our sins have hidden his face from us. Sin blinds us to who God is. And so it's not God that's turning his back on us. We're turning, we're turning our back on God. So this doesn't have anything to do with morality. It has nothing to do with something, it has nothing to do with doing something wrong or that God is disappointed in you. The issue with sin is that it pushes us away from him. It deludes our minds. It blinds our vision. It has us believing that there is something in this world that is better than an intimate relationship with God. So when I was younger, I used to do a lot of work with clay. And one of the things I remember from working with clay is that in order to make sure you're taking two pieces of clay, uh, in order to join them together, in order to make sure that that join will, you know, that little hold, it won't be brittle, the way you do it is you score the clay. You create a surface for it to attach to. And so I believe that sin scores our hearts in the same way. It creates a surface for the lies of the enemy to attach to and to create a stronghold. The lies that are like that you're not enough, that you're not worthy of God's love, that you are too broken, that God wouldn't want to have a relationship with you, that there's darkness inside of you that's bigger than God. So when, so when Paul talks about being crucified with Christ, and Jesus is talking about abiding in him, Sorry, one sec. 
So when Paul talks about being crucified with Christ and Jesus talks about abiding in him, what that what they're talking about is changing the way in which we relate to God. We no longer have to, with the old law and the old covenant, we had to focus on doing. We had to focus on the law. The only way in which we could commune with God was through blood sacrifice. The only way we could be in his presence was through, through an act of cleaning ourselves. God sent his son to change that, to change the paradigm in which we can relate, to make it no longer about doing. God, through the work that was done on the cross, God was able to tear down the wall of hostility between us and him. So I want to read again just a part of the, of the scripture today from John chapter 15. And this time I want to focus on who God is and what he does. So I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is that bear, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. This is all about pointing your feet towards Jesus. This is all about entering into relationship with Jesus. And so the list of things that I gave, of things that we need to do more, more prayer, more Bible reading, instead of focusing on more prayer for the sake of making yourself feel like a good Christian, focus on prayer as a way to connect with God. Focus on prayer as a way to learn about who God is. When it comes to reading scripture, don't read scripture to make yourself feel better. Don't read scripture looking for things to do or ways in which you can fix your life. The only one who can fix your life is God. And so you focus instead on who God is and what he does and let that permeate your relationship with him. No longer putting your, a barrier of sin up between you and him. Instead, welcoming him into your life. Welcoming this relationship. When we talk about community, and we think community is so important here at this church, the reason why we're talking about community and the reason why it's important is not to do with accountability. It's not to hold ourselves accountable. What it is is that it is through relationship that we can see who God is, not only with us and the Father, but also with us and everyone else, other people. You see who God is by interacting with his people. So that's, that's pretty much it for me right now. But um, So I wanted, to, I wanted to move communion toward the end. And the reason why is because, to me, what I'm talking about, about being in relationship with God and the practice that we do every Sunday, they're related. These sacraments that we, we, we use, the bread representing the body, the juice representing his blood, these are physical representations of the work that God um, has done. It is a representation of his love that he has for us. 
and it's an invitation for us to continue to stay in his presence and who he is. There may be people in this room who aren't quite sure their status with God. They may have been coming here and hearing a lot about God and being like, this is really interesting, but I don't quite know. What I want to invite those people, that if you're in that spot and you're unsure of where you stand, let this communion be your first steps towards Jesus. Let this communion be the start of that relationship that he is wanting to have with us so desperately. And I ask that if you make, if you did decide to make that step today, pointing your feet towards Jesus, then tell somebody. Talk to one of the elders, the leadership, someone uh, at the welcome desk. Let somebody know. And so with that, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward to pass out the sacraments. And I'm going to pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your character. And I thank you for your love that is so deep that you will use, you will go to no ends to be in relationship with us. You will love us that much. And I thank you that you were willing to separate the communion that you had with your son and send him here on earth so that he can die and that he can be the covering for our sins so that no longer do we have to work at being closer to you, a work that is impossible for us to do, that you sent the perfect sacrifice to die and to cleanse us of our sins. Not just the sins of the now, but also the sins of the future. We have already been forgiven by the the work that was done on the cross. And in Jesus' name, amen.